Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me as always is my co-host, who always takes the helm and charts his own course, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? Uh, great. And I'm I'm happy to say I'm not seasick or space sick, <laughs> um, which, which is always a plus for me. No Dramamine required to get through this movie. I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. What movie are we doing today, Larry? Uh, today we're doing Treasure Planet, um, <laughs> which I believe is believe is the if if our limit is to 2002, which it currently is, mm-hmm. is our current ending point. It is the last movie that Disney released in 2002. We did it, Andy. We Yay! got to the end. <laughs> we just have to fill in. A, lot a million of gaps. gaps. A million right. gaps. That's right. That's right. Well, some key facts to get this all going. Uh, this animated science fiction action adventure film uses, of course, Robert Lutz Stevenson's Treasure Island as its guiding light. Uh, it is the third Disney adaptation of the novel. Um, Treasure Island, which we've done from 1950. Uh, and Muppets Treasure Island, which is one of those gaps we have to fill in. Um, we, and we will. We'll we get will. there. There's no question. <laughs> We're, it's just been a little heavy Muppet lately. Um, yeah. So John Musker and Ron Clements co-wrote, co-produced, and co-directed this piece. Now, they, they pitched the idea uh, while they were working on The Little Mermaid. And it was rejected by both Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg for different reasons. But... The duo approached feature animation chairman Roy E. Disney, who loved the idea, and needless to say, they started working on Treasure Planet right after wrapping Hercules. Um, This movie combines hand-drawn 2D animation and 3D computer animation, and it is the most expensive traditional animated movie in history at $140 million. Wow. So... I And I'm not sure, uh, because I couldn't find this anywhere, but it seems to me this was a gamble that probably ends up paying off because they're using a lot of new technology and seeing just how far they can stretch uh, things. And Tarzan's sort of like that, too. Um, they use some 2D and 3D. And it's also a spending movie. But I think, um, yeah, I'm not quite sure like how that pays off for them, but I think it does pay off and, you know, down the road. Yeah. Even if this wasn't a box office success, the things you learn by doing it, right. Like lay a foundation for future movies and that might not be measurable. Uh, but, but they're pushing animation forward with this movie. And I have to say like that $140 million, it is all there on the screen. I mean, there's, there's no question that they spent it appropriately. It's gorgeous. Right. I mean, I think Hercules, uh, Tarzan, this movie, we're seeing the genesis of of computer animation and we're stretching the limits of it. And we're also seeing what do we wish computer animation, what do we wish it could do? Right. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of, of R&D going on here as well. So while animating the movie, this team operates on a 70-30 rule. And it meant that 70% of the film was supposed to look traditional and 30% sci-fi. I have to say, like, the biggest metric for success in this, in my opinion, is when I'm watching the movie, while it is visually breathtaking, I'm not thinking about that 70-30 split. 
I'm no. just I'm just enjoying that world. So w- everything you're saying makes sense in terms of the process, but when I'm watching it, the magic of what I'm seeing overwhelms my, the analysis of of the breakdown and how how they did it. It's just gorgeous. Oh, this is one of the coolest movies I've ever seen on the big screen. And it was an absolute flop at the box office. Now it's released alongside Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Okay, no, nothing was going to top that, <laughs> regardless of how right. good Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets was. Right. Like it was going to be crushed. And the Santa Claus 2, which actually did very, very well as well. And also a Disney film. But honestly, what? I know. What? I know. Well, Is, one of these days I've we're never... gonna have to do the Santa Claus 2 and <laughs> Far, far, far in the future. Far, far, far oh, in the future. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. I, uh, I can't imagine. I, I am maligning a movie I have not seen. <laughs> and yeah. Okay, yet. we can't do that. I can't do <laughs> no, this. No, no, I can't, no, no, I'm not no. ready. I'm not Keep ready. Keep your head in the game. Keep your head in the yeah. game. Uh, honestly, though, this movie is a lot better than either of those two movies. Now, I know we're doing key facts, and this is my opinion, but this movie is just glorious. I, I love it. I love everything about Treasure Planet. There I will is say no that from ar- the outset. There is no arguing with your opinion. Um, I'm sure like some people will feel Harry Potter is better, but I, I'm not going to make that case. Uh, although, you know, I love me the Harry Potter universe. I uh, <laughs> so fair enough. Shall awesome. we shall we get into Let's it? Let's dig in. All right. So we start, as we always do, with the Manish Tana, and we ask why this movie starts where it starts. And this this is a movie uh, where I got a little nervous because of the Manish Tana. I'm so I'm so keyed into Manish Tana's now, Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, it it always it always like it always gets me like a little apprehensive. So we start off with this gorgeous gorgeous sea battle. We have a narrator, as we do in many of the classic Disney movies, who's telling us the story of Captain Flint, who who had was like the most successful pirate of all time, literally appeared out of nowhere uh, and disappeared into nowhere. No one could figure out how he did it. And we're treated to a gorgeous uh, ship-to-ship battle from the start, mm-hmm. which I appreciate, uh, although it's got narration that's not telling me anything that my my eyes aren't seeing. Right. And yet there's a reveal that what we're actually seeing is, in fact, the storybooks of the future, which are hologrammatic. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to argue we, we have that now. It's called TV. <laughs> a book that turns into a TV is not what we need. Scientists who are working on that, we can can you can you focus on you know climate change because that's we that's what we need you to do. We don't need books that play as movies, but we we see it superimposed with a young Jim Hawkins. Mm-hmm. Shortly shortly thereafter, it's interrupted. His mother comes into the room. They have some cutesy mother's son time. Uh, and we watch this scene in which they watch uh, the watch a book. They watch a book. Mm-hmm. That's what they do. Um, and visually, I think this Manish Tana is successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I have quibbles with it story-wise. And I'm wondering if you do too, Andy. I don't. Um, I, okay. I, I really like, uh, you know, Jim's, um, 
Jim's iPad, right? Um, Because that, I mean, this movie comes out in 2002. And so that kind of technology is starting to become more mainstream. The idea that you can, you know, a kid can go into this world. Um, But I love, 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 there's this battle going on. And all of a sudden you see this little kid's face and you're like, what is that? And you realize that Jim is getting really invested in this story. And even as a very young kid. So this Manishada does a couple of things. One, it shows us the relationship at the core that Jim has with his mom. Second, it makes Jim really likable. And I think it also connects him to a younger audience, which could be alienated if they just met Jim as an adolescent. And the third thing that it does is that it provides this exposition of Captain Flint's secret trove that's hidden at the forest farthest reaches of the galaxy, right? So I think I think it does the job it's supposed to do. Um, I'm not sure I would like Jim if I didn't know that he was a little child that had a big, big dreams before that. Here is my problem with okay. it. Okay. Number one, uh, it is it is a thing inside a thing. And when I when I say that, I mean it is it is we're waiting for the movie to start. We get a story and then we're seeing people, we're watching people watch a story. We are an element removed from it. And I don't, I don't need that. I've never needed that. I don't want to be two levels away from the story. I want to be one level away from the story. uh, So it's like the beginning. It's like the Dalmatians watching television for you, right? It is exactly like the Dalmatians watching television for me. I don't want to watch the Dalmatians watch. I want to be fully immersed in, if we're doing a flashback, I want to be fully immersed in the flashback. Okay. But the most, the other issue with it is, is this the most interesting moment where we could be watching Jim and his mother? because it is bedtime but it is not an important day this is not the first time that he's read treasure planet and it's not the last time he's read treasure planet we i'm not treasure whatever book this is about captain flint it's not called treasure planet but it's the story of treasure planet we get the sense that this is the book he reads every night and yet this is not a particularly special night there are ways that we could do this there are ways that we could do this that um, would make it a special night and still get the story being told. For example, if this was the night before Jim's father left forever, which we will see forever, if it was Jim's dad telling the story to Jim and it was the last night he spent Mm. with Jim, that would be something. It would be it would be a moment that he that he utterly remembered. Um, there, if if after the fight after after the story, we hear Jim's mom and Jim's dad fighting at the same time that the two spaceships are fighting, we would get a sense of why we're going back to this particular retelling of Treasure Planet. They're arguing over bills and how they're going to keep the in afloat. And at the mm-hmm. same time, Jim is reading a story about this planet full of treasure that nobody's ever found. We would connect. Like there's so much there's it's so close to what it needs to be. But it's just one day when Jim was 5 and not a special day. 
I'll, I'll, I yield the floor. Well, I, I think you're <laughs> right. I think there is this unfolding, though, of the story of why Jim is the way he is. Because we see from the, we have them on the Shana, then we see Jim as sort of this angsty, I mean, almost stereotypical, I don't care, adolescent. Um, sure. And he moves from, you know, he's just, he's, you know, but if I had not seen that moment, I don't think I would care about Jim at all. I think, oh, he's just a punk, right? Completely agree. And I think, I think I, you're, I think I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, but I also think that during that uh, montage, which absolutely gets me every time I see it, the uh, I'm still here song and montage. I think. Well, let's get to that. Yeah, soon. yeah, we will. I, I think the Manesh Tanah sets that up because we get to see her being a single mom. We're not sure she's a single mom, but boy, we get the feeling of what it means for her when Jim leaves and, and we get an unfolding and an understand or not Jim leaves, but Jim's father leaves and we get an unfolding of that story instead of a set, a traditional setup payoff. I mean, I, I think it could, I think it could go either way. I like your way. I like this way too. Okay. Um, and I'll disagree. And there's no, again, opinions. Right. You know? right. But we'll move forward story-wise because I think, I think we'll be more on the same page once we actually start our story. We are in uh, uh, the Benbow Inn. And we start not on Jim, really, but Jim's, Jim's mom to a degree. Uh, Jim is off doing uh, cloud kicking, which is what I'm going to call it, based uh, based on tailspin. Uh, you know, he he loves to be up in the skies, and uh, you know, but uh, apparently he's going to get arrested by the robo police. He's a skateboard. Uh, he's a skateboard kid, right? Sure, sure. Meanwhile, at the same time, uh, his mother, Mrs. Hawkins, is having a conversation with her good friend, the doctor. That who is an alien dog sort of thing. Uh, I I don't mean thing. He's an alien dog humanoid. That's what I mean. Uh -huh. uh, I I don't want to rob him of his personhood. Uh, but but you know, to, in a in a restaurant full of aliens uh, that eat various different types of cuisine, and it raised some questions to me about what is going on in the kitchen. At this inn, because man, what they must have in terms of variety is is amazing. What a world of the future! Uh, but as they're having this conversation, she talks about how she thinks Jim has finally turned a corner. He's been getting into a lot of trouble, but they had a good heart to heart, and everything's going to be smooth sailing from now on. Which is immediately the moment when the robo police bring in Jim. Yep. <laughs> uh, so Jim, you know, gets in trouble with his mom. Uh, you know, at one point he's outside of the inn and a spaceship crafts, uh, crashes near him where an alien comes out. I don't know that we ever learn that his name is Billy Bones, but he's in the Billy Bones role of Treasure Island mm -hmm. at the very least. Uh, has like this interesting orb, which he gives to Jim, um, you know, and... You know, Jim brings him inside because we learn that, you know, Jim doesn't want this guy to die, although, uh, 
you know, he can't stop it from happening. Oh, it's absolutely Billy Bones. Yes. Yeah. Pir- pirates come to storm the inn. Uh-huh. He, his mother, and the doctor escape to the doctor's house, um, but the inn is destroyed in the process. We don't see who the mysterious leader of these pirates is. That's all kept in shadow from us. Although if you have any inkling of Treasure Island, this is not the world's greatest mystery, nor does the movie pretend it's the world's greatest mystery. If you're a little kid, you might you might be surprised at the revelation, I think. Uh, I think that's the right way to play it, too. What's interesting here, because we've had that scene with Jim being brought in by the police, um, and then we have this conversation that... Uh, Jim's mom, Sarah, is having with Dr. Doppler about Jim and how she wishes he would bring in these, you know, be the kid who brings in these pets, right? Um, and, and wants her to lie. And then here he is and he brings in Billy Bones, which ends up destroying, from her perspective, ends up destroying the Benbow Inn, right? So now, not only has he done all of this, he's he's destroyed this their livelihood too. I mean, it's, it's subtle, but it's there. And I, I think it's just so, gosh, it's so good. So good. But it's also, it's also our save the cat Mm -hmm. because if you don't like teen Jim and if that earlier scene, seeing him as a little kid wasn't enough from you. Right. Uh, we do see that when, when push comes to shove, a stranger needs his help and he immediately gives it. Um, and it is meant to endear him to us. I think at the same time, you're right, the consequences of doing this are dramatic uh, and in the short term, immediately tragic. We end up at the doctor's house. And at this point, I realized they have combined the doctor and squire characters into a single character. Right. Uh, the doctor is a flush with cash. Um, <laughs> well-appointed manner. Uh, he's looking at this orb. He's like, it's going to take forever to figure out. He's interested in exploring it uh, in laboratories. Meanwhile, you know, Jim treats it like a Rubik's Cube and click, he opens it up. Uh, and we see um, an intergalactic map which leads to Treasure Planet. And uh, the doc- the doctor is as interested as Jim is in finding Treasure Planet. He's always wanted to have an adventure. That's probably his Squire Trelawney side coming out a little bit, mm-hmm. but fine. Um, his, the, Jim's mother uh, is resistant to the idea, but the doctor says, look, this is this is probably what Jim needs in order to grow up, but this is also what I need right. in order to have an adventure. Right. And and trust me, we, I'm an old family friend. Uh, you can trust me, and she does trust him. And they set off to commission a ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to move us through the uh, to the rising action. So just really For quickly, me, just real there's quick, two places. Oh, sorry. Just, sorry, just real quick, just to be sure. The inciting incident, then, we decide is... That's what I was about to know. Okay, sorry. There's there's two places where we could point out the inciting incident. It could be the attack on the Benbow, like the crashing of Billy Bones leading to the attack of the pirates. Right. Or it could be this decision to set out for Treasure Planet. And I'm going to throw out to you, Andy, which one, or is there a third one, do you feel like is the inciting incident here? I mean, I really feel like it's Billy Bones' ship crashing 
because that seems it it seems jarring in the movie. Like it's like, whoa, what's that? Um, and it, you know, this we 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 know who Jim is, we know what's going on, we know what the conflicts are, kind of understand this world a little bit. It's gonna unfold some more, but uh yeah, I think that's I think there's the ship crashing. I mean, certainly that is the disruption. Yeah, fate right fate definitely hands Jim this treasure map. But I'm going to I'm going to make the other argument and whichever one you picked, I was going to make the other argument, Dandy, because that's how I am. I'm a contrarian. I'm a contrarian. Uh, I'm I'm going to make the argument that the inciting incident might be this decision by the doctor and Jim to go on the adventure, Mm -hmm. because, yes, you know, if this movie was an escape the pirates movie. Billy Bones crashing at at the inn might be the inciting incident because but but they've escaped the pirates. Uh, the action has evened out. If they never decide to do anything from this point on, uh, you know they're fine. Right. Uh, but the inciting, I mean, it's not great. It's not. It's not great. Hopefully, she's got good insurance. But the for me, like the inciting incident is going to be that they make the decision to chart to charter this ship and get to Treasure Planet. Uh, because if they don't do that, we don't have a story. Right. The other thing could have happened and we could not have a story. But but they need to make this decision to go to the new world, to go to the new place, to journey from one place to another, which I often say is the mark of where the inciting incident happened. We were in one place and now we're in another. Fair enough. Uh, but but again, I was going to argue the other way if you pick the other one. I, I like Andy. I like Andy to never win. Uh, uh, whatever answer she picks, I'm picking the other one. Oh, Larry. <laughs> moving, moving forward. Moving right along to rising uh, action. Rising action. Uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of this that if you just go side by side to the episode which we did in Treasure Island, we're going to see it's very similar in terms of plot structure. They're not deviating uh, terribly much. We meet Captain Amelia, who Mm -hmm. is fantastic. Yes. Uh, We meet her first mate, Sam, who, you know what, is also fantastic. And I immediately love both of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And when the doctor sees Amelia, he has that moment where, where, a wardrobe malfunction <laughs> indicates attraction. Um, the second the second he sees her, his helmet like goes bazonky, uh, and 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 you know that that's what it is. Um, very, very she immediately tunes, tell, isn't it? She she immediately tells him she has strong reservations about this crew he's hired because uh, they're all wearing their ask me about my piracy bumper stickers as they drive up to the ship. Uh, like, like they're like, you know, I don't have my union card, but I do have my pirate <laughs> union card. Is, is that good? Um, so in order to, in order to keep, you know, things a little bit secret, she says, you know, Jim can't be anything special. She's got to be a cabin boy. She assigns him to be the, the cook, assistant and the cook is long john silver Mm. who in in this version is an alien sort of squid guy um i i i hesitate like i think you check out his visual cyborg cyborg squid guy yeah yeah i mean he's not human no he's he is one of these many alien races Mm -hmm. uh 
that we will never know the names of any of them, with the exception of instead of having a parrot, he has Morph, this little shape-shifting sort of pet uh, who can turn who can turn into other things and will be providing us some some comic relief and maybe scratching Andy's itch to have have a dog that she can root for. Andy always. Andy always. <laughs> I love a, a good dog. dog. That's right. Um they they go on this journey and at first you know, Jim is very suspicious of Long John. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate this. This is a deviation from the traditional Treasure Island in which Jim kind of likes, lo- lo- takes Long John on uh, at face value, as he did in the in the early 1950s movie. But Long John, eventually, we, we see through a montage sequence that Long John and Jim begin to bond. And Andy, do you want to talk about this montage sequence? Because I sure do. Oh my goodness. It is powerful. Not only Agreed. is it beautifully animated, but try not to have your heart tugged. I mean, there if you come out of this without a throat lump, I don't, I don't know. It's 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 good. <laughs> I mean, we we establish in this that Jim has a wound. And it's not just, he's not just angsty because he's, you know, a typical adolescent or whatever. Jim's been wounded and Jim has a need. And anyone that has had, you know, I noticed like when the movie starts, Jim has this black jacket and an eye mask. But as this, in back in this, in this little sequence, Jim is innocent and, and sweet um, and he's bonding with Long John. I mean, it's just, it's so great. He's bonding with he's, all, you know, he's hungry for, he's got father hunger. It is a montage, but it's a montage with juxtaposition. Yes, yes. Which, which you often don't see in montage sequences. Generally, th- generally speaking, montage sequences only exist to fast forward the plot a little bit. But that's not the case here. And I I think for me, this is where my craft revelation comes in. What they do is they put side by side sequences of young Jim Mm -hmm. uh, getting abandoned by his father and his time with Long John. Uh, There's there's a bit where we see, you know, um, we see, you know, his father go off to go off to sea on a boat. Mm-hmm. Jim runs down to the dock and his father leaves. Yeah. We see Long John go onto a boat and it looks like he's going to leave Jim behind. But then Jim, Jim looks down and there's Long John smiling at him, waving for him to come on board. It's and, a repair. And we're seeing, it's a repair it, of a wound. But at the same time, we're all, you know, at the same time, we're like, oh gosh, Jim, you know, is Long John somebody that you can really trust? And, and is he manipulating him? Is this a good thing? Gosh, I don't know. So it's tough. And that's that's what's so great about it, yeah. because it does raise this question of, in the audience, we're wary that Jim is going to get his heart broken. Mm-hmm. We don't know it for a fact, although we've read the book, so we do know. But but if you if you take out our prior knowledge, we don't know. And they've changed other things. Yeah. Maybe they'll change this. Sure. Right? Um, is he pretending to care about Jim or does he genuinely care about right. Jim? Uh, it's, it's a great I mean, question. it asks, it asks, it's a montage that asks a dramatic question, right? 
which again, it's not just the and ads. yeah, it's not the typical fast forward through the movie. Um, I honest, honestly, you know, I could spend the whole podcast just dissecting this scene by scene, except we, we need to, we need to get to the full thing, For sure. but, but, but if you're one of our listeners who cares about craft, uh, and you have not watched this movie, this is the scene, mm-hmm. like this is the scene where I learned a yeah. lot. It's the reason I love moving it. us forward. Yeah. Moving this forward, rising action wise, uh, there there comes a crisis where they are essentially flying over a black hole. I'm I'm sparing the technical details here. <laughs> uh but they're flying over a black a black hole and Jim is called to use the skills he's learned from John Long John to tether all of the crew to the mass so none of them fall into the black hole. And we also see he's learned this skill expertly. He is a useful member of the crew. But one of the members of the crew sees this as an opportunity to get rid of the first mate. Right. Which happens in every single version of Treasure Island. Mm -hmm. That's not the deviation. But the deviation here is when it's all over and they're like, I'm sorry, we lost the first mate to the black hole. The blame is put on Jim for not securing the line. And that's an important deviation. Because Jim really feels as if he has killed first mate Sam. Uh, Really, really blames himself. And we're watching that scene not through his eyes, but through Long John's scene. Long John knows that it's not Jim's fault. But he's got this really tricky emotional landscape to navigate. He wants to make Jim feel better. Without revealing right. that the reason that Sam died is everyone on the ship is a pirate <laughs> except for four people. Right. I mean, he does this great thing where he encourages Jim. Right. He Jim's yes. taking the heat for for Arrow's death. Right. And 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 Jim tells him, or Silver tells him, not to give up. Yes. Which I think is a. Yes. I mean, yeah, he threads the needle. Right. He he does the job, and 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 shows how cunning he really is too. And it also shows that there is a it's the scene that shows that he legitimately does care about you mm-hmm. because he could it, his job would be easier uh, if he just Cared let less, Jim right. t- take the blame and and didn't care about mm-hmm. it. Uh, and it actually causes some friction with the very crew member who tried to who successfully murders uh, murders first mate Sam and. Uh, I I think I think that's all really great. Uh, that's all good stuff. Mm-hmm. They get to Treasure Planet, and at first, uh, Long John is like, "We're going to bide our time. We're going to get the treasure on the ship." The 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 pirate crew is itching to go, and and basically, Long John says, "Why do it now? Let's do it once the treasure is secure. It doesn't make sense to do it now." But Jim has been playing with Morph. They've been hidden in a barrel. And now Jim has learned that the person that he thought was his mentor is actually a pirate. And more to the point, when when uh, the crew start to accuse Long John of being soft on Jim, Long John says, I don't care about Jim. I've just been cozying up to him because that's how that's how we win over the people who aren't pirates on the ship. Once Long John realizes that the gig is up, uh, he says, well, then I guess we're starting the piracy early. Uh, There's a bit in which um, 
The pirates take control of the ship. Uh, Long John is trying to capture Jim before he can escape on the rowboat with the doctor and Amelia. But once Jim gets onto the rowboat, uh, Jim also thinks that he's grabbed the orb, which is the map on Treasure Planet, uh, you know, in order to stymie, to stymie Long John from actually finding the treasure. Uh, Long, Long John could, we see there's a moment where he could harpoon the ship that's heading down to Treasure Planet, which is what he should do. But Jim's on it, so he misses. He intentionally misses. Um, and when the other pirates question him about this, again, he's got an answer. They've got the map. Without the map, we can't find it if I blew up the map. But that's we know that's not the real answer. We know the real answer is he didn't shoot because Jim was there. Uh, you, you, it's all shown visually. Uh, Long John is complicated right, in this right, as well. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, it, yeah. It's not as. I don't want to say it. They don't have the caricatureness. Is that a word? These aren't these aren't caricatures of characters. These are, and they could be. oh easily easily easily. And everyone here has been given levels. The character work has been done in this movie. It is so easy to be reductive when you're retelling a classic story oh, yeah. like this. Yeah. Um, but everybody has the things that they want and the things that they need. And the obstacles and, and the, the reversals. I mean, it's great. It's just great, great all, storytelling. They're all in the process of distinguishing what is it that they want and what is it that they need. They don't know. They don't have it sorted yet. Right. And, and Long John thinks he needs the treasure. But in fact, Jim is a higher priority to him than Long John, than, than, than the treasure for Long John, than, than the treasure. Because when the push comes to shove, he doesn't shoot Jim. He's not willing to do mm -mm. it. Uh, he needs this kid to be alive more than he now he wants it all yeah he's he's gonna try to have it all but but they all have this issue Amelia thinks she needs certain things and what she actually needs is different the doctor thinks uh, anyway we'll get to that when sure, we get sure, to sure. the character sure. Con continuing forward with plot he gets down to the ship uh, get down to the planet Amelia's leg is injured so the doctor is going to stay with her they are flirty flirty uh, the doctor and Amelia. Um, and Jim goes off to try to find a place for them to hide, which is where he meets the robot, uh, Ben, who is the Ben Gunn role here. Uh, here, Instead of being insane, the way that Ben Gunn is traditionally insane in Treasure Island, we learn that Ben had his memory removed, which is a nice use of making him a robot rather than an alien. Uh, like, so, so his, his, the reason he's acting so eccentric is he's a damaged robot mm -hmm. who clearly worked for Flint, who clearly knew stuff about the treasure that he no longer knows. Right. Um, and then now we're heading towards, uh, uh, actually there's, there's one other bit here. Jim realizes when he thought he took the orb, he actually took Morph instead. Right. Uh, Long John and the pirates find them and they want the orb, which is when Jim realizes the pirates don't have the orb either. The orb is back on the ship. They're they're actually a little bit ahead of the pirates for the first time. Right. Uh, so so Jim goes, he rescues, he rescues the orb. 
we're heading towards climax territory, Andy, and, and I, I want to give you a little a little more freedom to identify it than I did with inciting <laughs> incidents. Where do you, where do you feel? So there's a couple of places we could put the climax. There's the there's maybe the thing that we thought was the climax, but turns out not to be. Uh, where do we go from here? Well, there's an extended climax in a way, in the same way we like a, a Toy Story climax, right? Where yes. uh, Treasure Planet is this giant system that Flint has created, right? And Ben, with his new memory, remembers that the planet is set to explode should the treasure be found. There's a ticking clock. Uh, Silver chucks the treasure in order to save Jim, and Jim saves the ship in the day. So we've got like several different points. There's also an emotional climax where Jim allows Silver the opportunity to escape, and Silver gives him Morph and enough money to rebuild the inn. Right. And that's the that's the interesting thing here, because this actually follows the same model that the Treasure Island movie right. Uh, right. follows. We have our big extended action adventure sequence. Mm-hmm. They get to the treasure. They learn Flint has like this interdimensional warp that can that can lead to like any place in the galaxy and his secrets. Mm-hmm. They accidentally trigger the self-destruct. They try to escape. Um they have a moment where they figure out that they'll never escape the blast of the planet, but they could conceivably escape through the gate. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I like in that moment that Long John is the one who says, listen, you have to believe in Jim. Mm-hmm. He says that to Amelia yeah. and the doctor. The kid's right. If you try to escape, you, you have to trust the kid. He's the one who gives that speech. And that's all the action adventure stuff. And that feels like a climax. Mm-hmm. But then there's the emotional climax. Um Long John is going to try to uh, escape with the treasure. He offers Jim first the opportunity to come with him, which Jim rejects. And then this was really curious because in the original Treasure Island, we talked about this moment where Long John offers Jim the parrot. And I I had referenced this as sort of like, uh, not, not in a romantic sense, but in terms of like a friendship contract, not a marriage contract, but a bonding cr- contract. If Jim takes this parrot from Long John, they will forever be connected. Mm-hmm. And Jim rejects the parrot from Long John uh, because he's rejecting piracy and all that it stands for. In this one, while Jim is rejecting piracy, he takes Morph. And in that way, sort of cements the idea that he and Long John will always be connected. They will always be surrogate father and son. And, um, and thematically, I think that's really strong, that not everybody is all good or all bad. So Jim yeah. gets to keep the part of John Silver that is good, and he gets to set a boundary and say, I won't do this. It's to powerful. the point where when, when he looks at, into the stars later on, he sees a cloud and Holy Lion King, <laughs> it's Long John Silver's face is in that cloud right. going, look harder, Jim. <laughs> um, but but they, when he looks up into space, he will always be thinking, where is my surrogate father? Mm-hmm. Where is Long John right, Silver? Right, right. Uh, and I guess we should go into falling action here because uh, that's part of the falling action. And I think that's the last part of the falling yeah, action. Big party but at we, the Benbow. We also, 
is a big party at the new renovated improved Benbo. Mm -hmm. And that party is for Jim who has come back. He has made good. Amelia has made a recommendation to get Jim accepted to the space captain Marine um, Academy. Mm -hmm. And Jim is all decked out in, in a uniform. He's, he's hometown hero come, come back. And he's grown up. And we also see that the doctor and Amelia have started a family uh, with three little girls that look like Amelia uh, and one little boy that uh, looks like the doctor. Uh, sort of a lady in the tramp situation, uh -huh. if if ever there was one. Uh, I do have I did not. <laughs> I do not know if they are of the same species. I think I don't I don't want to know. She's sort of a cat. He's kind of a dog. There's a lot about xenobiology here that I don't understand, but I'm going to Go with it, Andy. Yeah. Because because at one point I thought I thought the doctor was into Jim's mom. And if if that can happen, this can happen. I kind of thought that too in the beginning. We can talk about that when we get to the good doctor. Let's talk about characters. Um, we've talked a yes. lot about Jim. He is a layered character. He wants adventure, but he kind of wants it for his sake and not for the good of other people, or like he just doesn't think it through. You can see his struggle when he's apprehended by the police. He almost tries to make up for it by bussing a table for his mom. Like he's not talking to her, but he's like doing something for her. So, uh, right. Yeah. And like, see how good I am. Yeah. See, yeah. I'm see, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me, right? I'm helpful. Um, he's angsty, but underneath, there's this real desire to do the right thing. And I think he could easily, and we talked about this earlier, he could easily become a stereotype uh, for this, like, whatever, adolescent, right? But he he really moves from being selfish and guarded to selfless and, and more open, I think. What Jim thinks he needs is adventure and freedom. Mm -hmm. What he actually needs is a father figure. Yeah, yeah. And and he hasn't figured it out what it is that he needs. So that's why he keeps doing all of these reckless things, because he doesn't know what his need is. Right. And he doesn't know how to fill it. I think they get again. I love the original Treasure Treasure Island movie. And I love I love what you get out of having Jim be a kid, a sweet little kid right, in that. Right. I, I think the choice to. I mean, one of the smart choices they make here is to make him a teen, mm -hmm. make him not sweet mm -hmm. or or try. He's in that place where he's trying to get treated as an adult, but he still has these needs of a child that have never been met for him. Uh, he's neither one thing or the other. He's in a state of becoming. And that is such ripe, fertile ground for protagonists. It's awesome. Uh, it's great. It, he's, he, he's great. And I know, I know you're like, if we never met the little kid, I don't you said you said, I don't know that we would root for him when we first meet him. And I I think to a degree that's true, but I think he would win us over even without that, because we do see the softer side of him emerge as we go through it. And we do get to see that uh, it's all there. That little kid is inside him. Yeah. Still. Yeah. And I think I think again, I think the bonus is is for the little kid is that younger audiences, audience members are going to connect to him. Um, so they, where they may go, Oh, this is for older people or whatever. 
So I don't sure. know. I, maybe it makes it more um, open for a family film. Uh, Sarah Hawkins, uh, voiced by Laurie Metcalf. Um, oh, by the way, uh, Jim Hawkins was Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So, uh, yeah, and he's always, he's always I, I'm a big fan of his too. too. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, Sarah, what do we think? I I thought she was she was great in this movie. Um, for for what time she has there, she she is a struggling single mom. She's struggling not just financially, but she's struggling to do the right thing for her kid. It's complicated. Mm-hmm. She loves him and she's frustrated by him. Yeah. Which spoilers. Every mom <laughs> feels about every child ever. Is that right? <laughs> I, except for my mom. Right, mom? Uh, no. I'm perfect. Practically but, perfect in every way. Uh, oh, for so, sure. But she doesn't want her son to go to Treasure Planet because it's dangerous. But she also doesn't love the world he's creating for himself with his recklessness. So she, in the balance, it's like, well, you know, he can't do worse. <laughs> She makes the hardest decision that she can possibly make, which is when the doctor says, Sarah, you've done everything you could. Nothing you've done is working. It's time for you to let go and let somebody else take a try at it. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, if if Jim was a little kid, we would all we would be looking at her a little judgy. Uh, That's the reason we don't see this character in the 1950s Treasure Island movie that she's letting sleep. Bobby Driscoll go on a sea voyage where he may he may perish. But here it is a conflict for her. And we see we see that the fact that she's willing to let him go is is hard for her and an act of love and sacrifice. And to give all of that to a minor character, and she is a minor character. She doesn't feel that way when she's on the screen. Right. But she's in the movie for the first 15 minutes and she's in the movie in the last five minutes. And none of that is the actual meat of the story. No, it's it is a complicated portrayal, and I I enjoyed her. Yeah, John Silver, played by Brian Murray, um, South African actor, um, cyborg version of Long John Silver. I think he's an antagonist with an arc. I mean, for sure. I, I, I you know, we we might argue he's in he's an anti-villain. Uh, because, because, or, you know, that he's a villain with heroic qualities Mm -hmm. that we appreciate. He makes the wrong choices for the vast majority of the movie. I don't believe that at the end of the movie, he has fully redeemed himself. I don't get the sense that his, his criminal past is behind him. He's on to the next, he's clearly going to be on to the next caper, right? Next pirate crew, next adventure. He, he has, he's learned to care about someone, but not to change his ways. And yet I like him so much. And when I first meet him visually, Mm -hmm. it's not, like I have a sort of reaction to him that I have to the beast uh, in Beauty and oh, the Beast. Oh, interesting. When I when I first see him, he looks like someone who would be at home in Jabba the Hutt's palace in Return of the <laughs> Jedi, right? Yeah, like, like visually interesting, but not aesthetically pleasing. But the more I learn about him, the more that I I look past his appearance right. to see the heart that's underneath this character, right? And and. You know, it is hard to look lovingly at Jabba the Hutt, uh, and yet with Long John Silver, who who is more pleasant to look at than Jabba the Hutt, but but with Long John Silver, I'm able to get there. Well, the th- I'm able to get there. the thing I noticed with his arc. It's he he goes from really greedy to ruthless to really selfless and human. Uh, he's cunning. He never loses any of that. 
He's generally honorable. He's willing to lie, but he's also willing to lie to get what he wants. Uh, and he, he makes this line when um, he's talking about his, his um, I'm going to say his hook, because it reminds me of Captain Hook. Um, and for good reason, did a little digging, yes. found out that the animation was actually borrowed uh, from Captain Hook. So, of course so, it yeah. was. So, but he says, you give up a few things chasing a dream. Right. Right. And so he's sort of like, that's kind of, that says a lot. So when he says something, it says a lot without telling you the whole story. But it, but you know what? It also, it also adds something to it that, that I hadn't realized in pursuit of Flint's treasure. This, this man gave up his right hand, mm -hmm. gave up his eye, mm -hmm. but wasn't willing to give up Jim. He was he was willing to sacrifice parts of himself. His own body integrity has less value to him than this than this teenage boy. He's he's grown to love. Well, and, my, and that's my an oldest, amazing character statement. As my oldest son noted when he was eight years old, um, Jim, you know, Silver realizes who the true treasure is. It's Jim. Jim's the treasure. Yeah. Um, oh, and always has. Yeah, been. yeah. I mean, I I think when faced with the choice of whether you take the treasure or you save Jim and silver chooses Jim. Uh, and, and there is a bit of a, of a zero sum game in this relationship, but it really evolves into one of what I think is kind of true affection. I think, I think at first you're like, do they like each? I don't know, but like I'll do for you, you do for me. But I think, I think silver initially sees Jim as a means to an end, but it, but yeah, it's, he becomes, he becomes that father figure. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Doctor. I'm, I'm completely there. Dr. Delbert Doppler played by David Hyde Pierce. So if I have one quibble about this movie and is my only quibble, it's really about mm -hmm. finding Doppler's motivation. Like, why does he want to go on this trip so badly? He says he wants adventure that he's never had one. And I and I guess we're given the impl the implication here is he's led this life of privilege that required him to take no risks. Oh, and and so okay, yeah. So that the the lure of of this is can I actually prove myself in a situation where I don't have all of the luxuries that I have here? What's what complicates this for me a little bit is I I do feel when we watch the original Treasure Island movie, that the doctor has his eye on Jim's mom and wants to be Jim's stepdad. Here, I feel, I felt the same way. I felt like the doctor has been watching uh, Jim's mom, Sarah, from, from afar, has loved her his entire life. Maybe they're good friends, uh, and he's never wanted to trespass on that, but but he he is clearly her best friend and he clearly sees himself as i'm not jim's dad but i'm the best he's got and i'm gonna do it mm -hmm. and and part of it is he wants the adventure but part of it is he wants the chance to prove himself uh, a member of the family if that if that makes yeah. sense. that's how i felt about it. i mean he's quick to get on that ship and blow his life savings right <laughs> But it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because it does seem out of character for a scientist to do that. And and beyond that, once he gets on the ship, 
he stops paying attention to Jim for the most part right. and becomes entirely focused on Amelia. And I will tell you, I would also become focused on Amelia. Amelia is fantastic. And I understand why he feels that way. Um, but, but uh, yeah, it, he's there. I, I always love the, the performances that David Hyde Pierce mm -hmm. uh uh, puts into these characters. I, I liked him in A Bug's Life, and I like I like him here. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm a little hazy on exactly what he wants and what he needs. Uh, I didn't get the sense that what he needed was... Uh, he, he thinks he needs adventure, but maybe what he needs is love. Yeah. I, but I don't know... I don't know that he didn't have it in the first place. And that's where it gets a little messy for me. Yeah, so... Captain Amelia, played by Emma Thompson. It is refreshing to have a woman at the helm. Um, I'm so grateful. Uh, it's a great performance by Emma Thompson, who portrays a very experienced captain. She's a foil, I think, to Dr. Doppler. Um, oh, for sure. She, she loves Mr. Arrow genuinely. She is leery of Long John Silver, and she's right to be. I love when she calls them a ludicrous. What did I say right before coffee? And Arrow says a ludicrous parcel of driveling galoots. Oh yes, that's poetry. <laughs> I love. Yes, she has great lines. Um, and she's she's good. She's great. Uh, the second she appears on the ship, I said to myself, "She's Wonder Woman." Oh yeah. She, every man she's ever met has instantly fallen in love with her. Mm -hmm. I believe that. Mm. I believe that. She is used to, and it's not because she's all flirty flirt. No. It is, it is not that. It is just her strength and her confidence has charmed men everywhere. Mm -hmm. Is Sam secretly in love with her? I bet he is. Is everyone secretly in love with her? I bet they are. Mm -hmm. uh, does she know it? Yup. Is is she is she manipulating people with it? Nope, because she's also a leader. She doesn't need to do any of that feminine charming thing. Like like, will you carry my books? Will you, uh, will you do that sort of thing to me? None of that. She just has it. Great. She's just got that. Great aura. character. Love her. Um, and you know, opposites attract, of course. And she and uh, Doppler end up together, and cats and dogs can live together in peace, harmony, and. As you mentioned earlier, and this world can procreate. So, <laughs> everyone, everyone I know wants their cat and their dog to fall in love and have children. I don't, I don't know anyone who doesn't want that, right, guys? Is that well, just me? I mean, oh. I, oh, it's just me. You know, I mean, I, I when I was a kid at the book fair, there were lots of lots of lots of posters with puppies and kittens. So I don't, I don't know. All right, uh, <laughs> Ben the robot. <laughs> Uh, played by Martin Short, who is so good in this. Um, obviously, Ben, a callback to Ben Gunn. Um, yes. He used to be the navigator for Captain Flint. I mean, I think it's a, he's not only a, a character that lands on this arc to drive the story forward, he's super entertaining. And um, yeah. I, I mean, the thing that I got from him is he's been alone for so long that when Jim shows up, he is so desperate to be loved by Jim. Mm -hmm. uh, and he gets there. Yeah. And he gets there. He gets to achieve that objective. Um, you know, this is a character that was created to to be in service. That's what robots are. Um, and yet, and yet, 
his reward at the end of this is when he hugs Jim at the end of the movie, where Jim has been sort of like, you're coming on a little strong here, Ben, uh, push, pushing him away. At the end, Jim is willing to give him that hug and mm-hmm. reciprocate it. Um, that, and and, it, open, and hey, it shows that Jim is opening up. I mean, I think that that, yes. that little shift and that, again, it's so good. This is so well written. It's so structurally sound. So many times we come across a movie and we're like, gosh, you know, they didn't pay this off or gosh, why did the, no, this movie is beat for beat on point. It's so good. For for a movie that is, has such a strong, like people come to see it for the story, not the characters. Yes. They didn't have to do the work on the characters that they did, but that, but but it is so much richer for the character work. So much richer. This movie deserved to be a big success. Oh, yeah. Um, we deserve to have a Treasure Planet ride. We deserve to have... I mean, this this is one of Disney's greatest achievements. And it is very unfortunate that it flopped. It's so unfortunate. And it's self-inflicted, oh, one, I yeah, guess, if yeah. they released it at the same time as Santa Claus 2. They were in charge of that scheduling. Yeah. Hold off a few months. Hold off a few months. It's not like every every December everybody feels like it's time for pirate stories, right? Uh, right. Although, oh, uh, anyway, yeah, I get you. I hear you. So, Mister Arrow, straight as an arrow, right? Um, he is when he dies. It's it's one of those moments where it's unjust. It's cruel. It's com- and and the comp- and and then pinning it on Jim makes it all the worst it's just ugh. in the first treasure island it was kind of his fault in the sense that he let himself get drunk right that there were um and so he's partly to blame for it he broke his own rule he broke his own code and that allowed him to be uh uh manipulated right exactly here this guy has been given his a game the whole movie his his uh, greatest attribute is his unwavering devotion and loyalty to Amelia uh, and doing things to the best of his ability. And even though I know structurally in Treasure Island, Sam Arrow does die, you know, he fell into a black hole. And part of me was like, well, maybe we'll find him later. He'll he'll have gone through that black hole and he'll have warped someplace else. He'll have warped to the planet. Maybe that black hole was actually one of Flint's gates and he's in the treasure room when we get there. Something. Nope, he did. Nope, he's gone. Spaghettification. Mm-hmm. He's gonzo. <laughs> um, but I was holding out that hope the entire movie and it doesn't happen here. It'll happen in a different adaptation, but it doesn't, it doesn't happen in this one. Right. He is gone. So Morph, Dane Davis, uh, I, he's super cute, super fun. Like you said, he's a puppy, right? He constantly makes me laugh. He busts up tension in the way that a good Disney sidekick does. Um, The thing I noticed craft-wise about Morph is that how he feels about Jim and how he interacts with Jim matches how we grow to feel about Jim. I mean, it's something, it's something that it's a way for us to connect with Jim's metamorphosis as a character. And um, it's at first he doesn't like him and we don't really like him that much either. 
gym that much either. But as as things grow and develop, I think it really um, it helps helps a lot. I mean, also he he is a character who uh, unselfishly loves both Jim and Long John. Yes, um, and you know. As as Andy likes to point out, dogs do. That's right. Um, you know, they love every. It if, is a, if a dog. Love, he love. If a dog doesn't love you, you need you need you need to work on yourself. <laughs> then I need to work on myself because dogs do not love <gasps> Andy. My dogs um, don't love you. But <laughs> well, uh, well, maybe we'll put that to the test. Um, I got a story to tell you, but we'll put that aside. Um, here. Here, it's very clear. He loves them both, and it's going to be hard for him to be separated from either mm, one of them. Yeah. And yet Long John realizes that what Morph needs, Morph is willing to go with Long John, but Morph needs to be with Jim. He makes that decision just as much for, for Morph as he does for Jim. Yeah. That those two need to be together. Yep. And then, of course, there's Scroop by Michael Wincott. He's a foil for silver. Uh, he he's so sinister. he is much like the Israel Hands character in Treasure Island. Um, he's he's devious, and I think his you know karma gets him, which is great. Sure, I mean he's he's the one who's going to have to 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 suffer. For, I mean he's the murderer mm-hmm. of the bunch of them. Not that I don't think the other pirates would murder uh, wouldn't murder. I I think they probably would, but he's the successful murderer, and so he's really got to pay for what he's done. Um, but it helps us like Long John more mm-hmm. that there's this other pirate that we're more afraid of. Oh yeah, um, yeah, who is completely inhuman, uh, devoid of human feeling. Uh, willing to betray anyone to get what he wants uh, and willing to kill for it. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, he's sinister. His presence. Uh, Creepy. And he's, and they make him more alien than some of the other aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that uh, you don't get anything from his face. He's unreadable. He always looks, he always looks scary. Uh, even when he's pretending not to be, it's, it's great choices. Great, great design choices for him. For sure. All right. Pitch time. So Disney canceled sequels to Treasure Planet Mm. because of the poor showing of Treasure Planet at the box office. However, uh, given this film, there's video games, Treasure Planet, Battle at Procyon, Treasure Planet Training Academy, and there is an upcoming uh, 2024 live action movie. On Treasure Planet, wow. I'm looking forward to very, very much, and I'm not. <laughs> They're adapting it. They're putting it on an island in the ocean. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's all <human. laughs> I, I am not a big. That's funny. I'm not a big live action movie Disney remake person, but I'm very sure. excited about this one. What would we do with this material, Larry? I am so worried. I'm going to steal your pitch. So maybe you should go. Well, first. I think we should have a series. I mean, a series, an animated series, makes the most sense to me. Where Jim has to continue to take on these intergalactic forces and grow and develop as a human. And at the end of season one, I want Jim to find his father because there's a nut that's left uncracked. And I think there's I'm, something, something to find there. I'm agreed. 
Okay, so so mine is a Captain Amelia prequel. Oh, um, I I think she would make a great protagonist of her own story. Um, I want I want to see her rising through the ranks. I want to see her at the academy as a young lady. Uh, I want to see her first meeting with Sam Arrow, mm-hmm. where maybe everyone thinks Sam is going to be the head of the class uh, because he's got that look. He's got that look of that perfect buff sailor. Nice, uh, he, like. But in fact, the top of the class is Amelia. Maybe they start off as rivals and become best friends. But I want her story. I want to hear how she became the youngest independent captain in all of uh, Space Fleet. Uh, I, I, I want to see also, like, you know, what shaped her. Like, yeah. Like what what are her what are her flaws? What drives her? What pushes her forward? What makes her the best? Uh, I would not hesitate uh to watch oh i want to see more of her for sure good good job good work yes all right well what movie are we tackling next week oh that's that's a good question let me check my list unfolding the list so this is uh oh um andy uh we're done this is the last episode of the podcast. Uh, we've, oh. finished it. we've done every Disney movie that there is to Wait, do. Wait, Larry, we have not done everything, have we? We've not done everything. Okay, maybe we haven't done everything, but do we have to do everything? <laughs> we, I mean, you are a completionist. Yeah, it, but it, but okay. it seems to me from your, from your, um, mm, it seems, are you avoiding something, Larry? Because it feels like, are we scraping the bottom of the barrel here? <laughs> I, I think we're under the barrel. Um, so next week, next week we are doing uh, Xenon, Girl of the 21st Century 2, the sequel. The sequel. The sequel. And, and we are doing it because, because some of you insisted that we do it. And I don't know what we ever did to you, but now we are bound by podcast law to do hey, Xenon 2. We love our fans, and if we will give you what you want. This is, this we, we live to serve. So. As the characters in Treasure Island, I want our fans to really think about what they want and what they need. And do they need this? I don't know. Oh, I love it. Well, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? And please check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page or drop us a line in our mailbag at onceuponadisneypodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. See you real soon.